and welcome to our Love Lansing podcast, provided by the Lansing State Journal, part of the USA Today Network. I'm your host, Kelsey Pence, and I'm here to fill you in on what's coming, what you missed, and what you need to know if you truly love Lansing like me. If you are an LSJ insider and love cocktails, I've got some good news. American Fifth Spirits is hosting a cocktail class on October 16th, and our insiders get 10% off the ticket price. You will learn about the history of four seasonal cocktails and why each spirit is used. You will also receive the cocktail recipes and be able to practice the techniques needed to make them. I've got American Fifth President and Head Distiller Rick Weibel here with me today and also Love Lansing reporter Vicki Dozier. Welcome to the Love Lansing podcast. Hello. So Hi, what? <laughs> Hi, Vicki. What made you want to give away these recipes? Oh, wow. Um, well, first of all, what I've learned throughout this whole experience is people's understanding of spirits and cocktails right now is very similar to where it used to be for craft beer maybe 15, 20 years ago. Okay, so not very much. Not experience. very much. So um, I think education is key. Um, whatever we can do to help people understand how we do things, why we do the things we do, and then utilize them in cocktails is just going to help us in the overall in the overall industry. You guys have had a couple of these classes already, correct? We have. Yeah, we've how, done... How have they gone? Great. Um, it's interesting. Each group has a unique personality. Um, the first one was very, very loose, and everyone had a great time. Um, another one, it was a little bit more withdrawn. Um, I don't think the people were quite as familiar with every, everyone else that attended. Okay. Um, but I, by the end of the day, everyone's having a great time. Four cocktails kind of loosen people up. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can imagine. So it's not exactly the cheapest class. What do you get with It's $85 per person and 150 per couple what does that get you well um in addition to you get four drinks um you get to make them we also give away the bar tools with that so you get a branded american fifth uh boston shaker which oh. is you know the metal tin with the pint glass on top we teach everyone how to use that you also get a muddler um a strainer a jigger and a bar spoon so all the b basic bar tools that you would need to make any cocktail and do you tour people around the distillery at all during this class? Yep, that's the final final step. Awesome. Yep. So do the recipes change with each class? Are you doing different cocktails? Or are you doing your standard four? Um, we're doing the standard four right now, and we've picked four particular types. So um, basically a mule, um, which is you know a standard vodka cocktail. We talk about the history of that, how the, the Moscow mule came into existence. Vicky loves that. I love the Moscow mule, but I love American Fist version better yes we do so. one called the ginger where we ginger it up considerably that's my favorite um we get into uh, a, a gin fizz we do our version of that um we do a mojito with our again all, all our versions of those things so yeah you learn about not only the cocktail how to make them but where they came from the origins and everything so uh as far as duration how long is this class um, two hours, maybe a little bit longer. Um, it depends on how many questions people ask and how loud people get. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever given away any recipes before or do you have secret recipes that you will not give away? Um, no, we're open about everything. Our website has basically every single recipe that we've ever done. So we, uh, in our tasting room, um, legally we're allowed to make cocktails out of whatever we make. Um, and so we, we update our cocktail menu on the fifth of every month for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, so we're always adding 10 to 12 new cocktails and we've been open for almost a year and a half. We have over 300 cocktails in our database. Um, almost all of those are on our website right now. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I'll have to check some of those out. So what would you say your most 
popular cocktail is, Rick? Well, last year and a good chunk of this year, it was a cocktail called the Rhubarberan, <clears throat> which is <laughs> we infuse our Hue Vodka with rhubarb. Um, which makes it a very, first of all, a very pretty pink color, but also adds a bitter aspect to it. Then we mix that with some muddled strawberries. And so you get strawberry rhubarb pie, right? Oh, okay. And then top it with um, Fago cream soda. I've and had a lot of drinks there, and that is my favorite one. Yeah. That is my favorite one as well. Really? Yes. I, I feel like I had ginger. that with you the I first think you time. Did. Yeah. I think you did. Yeah. I think you tried a couple different ones. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to do that. <laughs> I was restricting myself to the one, as <laughs> usual, so... Wow. So that was it. And then until we just released our rum, our, our turtleback white rum just came out. And uh, so we are now able to make a Long Island. So we created a Lansing Long Island and that just absolutely took off. I saw that the last time I was there yeah. and I saw a lot of people getting it. They looked very happy. I haven't tried that one yet, so I need to get back over. Well, my favorite, of course, we were talking about this, is the ginger. Um, I, I love Moscow mules and I had... The first time I went to American Fifth, I didn't see a Moscow Mule on the menu, so I was kind of freaked out about that. But <laughs> the bartender said, hey, let's try this. Let's call the ginger, and it's it's a take our take on it. But I know you also have another Michigan Mule. Yeah, we call it the Michigan Mule. Um, yeah, we're trying to promote Michigan even further. So it's our Hue Vodka, which is 100% Michigan wheat, um, and then Verner's, and a little splash of cranberry, which is also indigenous to Michigan. Okay, so tell us about the, I already know what's in the, the ginger, but tell our audience that doesn't know about it. Uh, we take our Hue Vodka and then infuse it with ginger, um, make it very, very spicy. We also make our own ginger syrup, so uh, a basic simple syrup that we add ginger to as well, um, that with uh, ginger beer. So it's ginger, ginger, ginger. And I don't even like ginger, but I love <laughs> this drink. It's, it's amazing. And you can buy the ginger-infused vodka, correct? No. You can't? No. But we teach people how to do it. So, oh. Yeah. Okay. So uh, doing flavors of vodka um, gets into a bunch of legal stuff on I the federal that. level, mm -hmm. um, which we're not opposed to doing at some point. Um, but... We are using all fresh ingredients when we do uh, our infusions in-house. So turning around and selling them um, worries me just from a quality standpoint. Right. Um, you know, so something sitting on a shelf, I don't want it to turn brown or, or start wow. tasting bad, stuff like that. So um, to be open as possible with both our cocktails, um, we, we do that with the infusions and syrups and anything else. Anything you want to know, we'll gladly tell you how we do it. Well, I love to watch them making it. So what's a tasting room? Tell the people that don't know what that is about it. So, yeah, um, there seems to be a little bit of confusion as to what we are doing. <laughs> um, well, first of all, the distillery is obviously the, the distillery. We have all the equipment and the still in there and everything. But um, legally, again, um, our tasting room is what it is called under our license. So we can um, provide taste. We have tasting flights and everything like that that people can uh, can partake in. But then, again, we can do cocktails, um, which is part of our Michigan license. Um, I chose to go with a tasting room to make it more as a showroom for mm -hmm. our distillery. So in auto parlance, the distillery is the factory and the tasting room is the showroom. Um, oh. But, you know, with 40 cocktails on the menu that... 25% of them update on a monthly basis. People are starting to see us as a cocktail bar. Um, but, you know, that's fine. But we try to infuse a little education into that as well as far as what we're doing and, again, why we do it and how we do it. 
Okay. Now you talked, you mentioned muddling. What is muddling? Muddling is a technique um, that you need a, a muddler in order to do. Is that something <laughs> you get at the class? It is. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, I don't know so what a bad. muddler is. I don't either. Um, <laughs> but basically it, if you use herbs and or fruit, um, it will, for herbs, it will release the oils and aromatics of the herb if you just lightly crush it. So okay. you basically, you, the tin, you know, everyone is familiar with a shaker tin. Um, you put the herbs down the bottom of that, and then a muddler is basically just a wooden stick. It's broad, maybe maybe six inches long and an inch in diameter, inch and a half in diameter, and then you just gently push down into the into the tin and twist and, and try to break up the cell structure of the herbs, for example. Um, and in doing that, it helps release the, the oils and the botanicals. Would you do something, <clears throat> would you muddle for a mojito? Is that you would, yes. Okay, yeah, that's one of mint. my favorite drinks, and so okay. I need to learn how to muddle so I can yes. make homemade mojitos. <laughs> I don't think they would taste as good as yeah, Gwento American not. Fifth. That's why I don't think I could try to even make a ginger <laughs> at home. I just want to go there and watch them make it. I'll feel it. cool doing it. <laughs> yes. So tell us about the penny bar, because that's my favorite part. Okay, yeah. So we do have a penny bar, and in the construction of... The, the the tasting room we went through a bunch of different um options as far as what we wanted to make the bar out of and what we thought would be one of the more economical ways would be penny but that's not true <laughs> okay. um i don't even know how many square feet it is but it's pretty giant um there's over thirty three thousand pennies on the bar it's awesome to look at um okay. it's two layers um a, a good chunk of a circle, almost a full circle. Um, I know the diameter of the circle is 18 feet, the outside diameter of it. Um, How many people comment on that when they come in? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially people who have been in a number of times but never make it to the bar because, mm. you yeah. know, they'll go find a seat uh-huh. on a table or in one of our lounge areas, and then um, they finally make up to, make it up to the bar, and they're surprised by it. But, yeah, I mean, there's two layers of pennies, and then we put a, a clear like epoxy finish over the top of it. um, The reason we did it, if you take a look at the overall structure of the bar, copper um, is key for the still. The stills are made of copper. Um, We have an oak trim on the, on the bar um, for representing the oak barrels. And then the bottom portion of the, uh, of the bar is stainless steel Mm -hmm. representing the fermenters and the brew kettle and everything. So we kind of try to tie the, the the distillery into the tasting room. That's so cool. So how long did it take to put that, 33,000. That is a good question because that was one of those projects that just was around. And whenever we had five, 10 minutes to do, we had to glue each one of the pennies down. So you were actually involved in doing that? No, no, (laughs) no. Um, It reached a point that it became a joke during the whole um, renovation of the building that I had yet to do it. So no one let me do it. Oh, okay. Um, I was, I, did a lot of the physical work of the renovation myself, but um, yeah, it just reached a point where no one would allow me to do it because that was one thing they didn't want me to do. <laughs> but yeah, it was, I think maybe two or three weeks, yeah, you know, of just you know, ten minutes here, fifteen minutes there, that yeah. sort of thing. So, it could, maybe that would be like therapeutic, <laughs> you know, like just gluing pennies down to a maybe. <laughs> I could see it being therapeutic. Maybe as a word for it. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's very pretty. It looks very. Pretty when you now take that it's it, finished, you drink looks, on yes, top of it. Yes, yes, it makes for great yeah, but if you, photos. If you put your change down and you put a penny on there, you're not going to find it. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> so you've been in business about a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. Is this 
what you expected? Yeah, um, the, 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 the tasting room side is, is doing fantastic, um, even more so than I think we projected at this point. Um, the distribution side is still a challenge here in the state. Um, I'm speaking for other distillers, craft distillers here in Michigan. Um, the way that the liquor system is set up in the state of Michigan is not particularly business friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have some challenges on that front. But other than that, yeah, the tasting room's knocking it out of the park. Yeah, and it's been a fun adventure for you guys. You know, we there's a far greater awareness of what we're doing this year versus last year, um, and it's it's fun um, to see people come in and learn about what we're doing, but also find out what cocktails can doing or, or can do. Um, you know, cocktails are huge on the coasts of the country and um, even within the state of Michigan here. Yes. Um, Detroit's cocktail culture is phenomenal. Uh, mm-hmm. They just thrillist dot com just wrote a very very extensive review of the cocktail culture down there and um you know i think in lansing we have the the ability and the creativity and the um know-how here to 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 do our own so if you want to sign up for this class um, you have to reserve your spot is that correct correct yeah so how do you do that um the best way is to come into the taste room and purchase a ticket oh. um, we do not have online purchasing of tickets yet but we're working toward that so if you can't get in can you call and reserve your spot yeah that's fine and like I said, there is a coupon if you are an LSJ insider for 10% off. So make sure you take advantage of that. Rick, Vicki, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank, thank you, Kelsey. You. Next up, I'm joined by education reporter RJ Wolcott and tourism reporter Kathleen Levy. This week has been a fun one for both of your beats. RJ, we'll start with you first. You published a story this week on an MSU professor who found that riding roller coasters may help people pass kidney stones. When you first heard of this, did you believe it? Well, it sounds, you know, pretty ridiculous on its face, right? Like roller coasters helping kidney stones. Um, But then when you, when, you know, David Wardinger, who's the guy who did this research, when he explained it, it made a lot of sense that, you know, kidney stones, they build up uh, and they kind of stick to the walls of your kidney. And they, when they get jostled, that helps them get where they need to go to be passed. So in effect, it makes a lot more sense if you just think about what can help kidney stones. And, you know, he studied it and found, you know, pretty being pretty successful with one coaster in particular. And this started because somebody else told him that the roller coasters work. Is that right? Yeah, it was amazing because he said, you know, uh, some of his patients over the years had told him they went on vacation to Disney World. And the next thing they knew, they passed their stone. But then he had a uh, one particular patient who said he went on this roller coaster, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad once passed a stone, got back on it, got off, passed another stone, third time, did the same thing. So three rides, three stones in one hour. So there was something that was working there, obviously. And so after that, he really wanted to put it to the test. So is it just this roller coaster or does he think there might be more that... You know, it, it's kind of, so this was the only roller coaster that he tested that they found significant uh, success with. And it was actually in particular, the furthest most cart on the coaster was the one that found like close to 70% success getting these stones where they needed to go. Um, but he explained it like uh, the inside of a kidney, he said, is kind of like a fingerprint. It's different for everybody just a little bit. So some coasters might be more successful for you depending on what your kidney you know, looks like. So he really just said the prevailing idea is you want sort of a rough riding roller coaster that's got some quick turns in it. Nothing crazy like Millennium Force, you know, um, <laughs> just sort of like an average coaster uh with no upside down loops though that actually might you know the centripetal force might keep the stone on the wall of the kidney so no upside down stuff but everything else with a coaster could help 
That is totally fascinating. <laughs> it is. And my favorite part of this whole thing, I mean, when you pitched this story, I was kind of like, okay, no way. You're going to write about how people thought it was roller coasters, but then no, not really. Mm-hmm. But when we posted this on Facebook, people immediately started tagging other people. I think a lot of people, no other people with, that have struggled with kidney stones. And it was just fantastic because there's so many people commenting and they're just commenting, tagging somebody else for the story. Yeah, I was going to say, because my sister had a kidney stone once, and it, I remember watching her go through it, and it looked horrible. Uh, and, you know, I talked, Wardinger, the doctor from MSU, said that among his female patients, half said that passing a kidney stone was more painful than natural childbirth. You know, they were split on that. So it's obviously an incredibly painful thing, and I think people look for any way possible to reduce that sort of pain that they get from it. And if roller coasters can do that, then go at it. You know, my best friend had kidney stones while she was pregnant last year. So that's, it's like a childbirth or kidney stones. She had both. Um, But then when I shared this with her, I started wondering, well, I don't know if she could have gotten on the roller coaster had she been pregnant anyway. So so I don't know if there's a cure for that. Is this something that you think doctors will actually start recommending to people? Well, Wardinger did. You know, he said that he thinks, you know, if you want to be proactive, you know, you've got a small stone or if you're a pregnant woman and you have a stone and you want to get, or sorry, if you're a woman who wants to get pregnant and you have a stone, getting that out of your system first, Ah. then it's totally a valid, you know, step that you can try. And because he said with pregnant women, they can't get the procedure to have their kidney stones broken up. Okay. And so if you've got a kidney stone and you're pregnant, you're kind of in a pickle a little bit. Um, But if you want to get pregnant, you know, and you're not, and you have a stone, try roller coaster, get that taken care of and then go, I guess. So if you're afraid of roller coasters, but you have a kidney stone, this is the time to face your fear. Yes. (laughs) So how do the costs compare? You know, right. Going, buying a ticket to an amusement park versus, I don't even know what the treatment is. Right. So there's a $5,000 procedure. That's what Warninger said it was, you know, roughly, but it uses ultrasound waves to break up a larger kidney stone into smaller pieces. And, you know, that's really expensive, much more expensive than, you know, buying a ticket to Michigan Adventure, Cedar Point, that kind of thing. But it's important to note, roller coasters would really only help if you had a relatively small kidney stone, right? Because uh, if you have a big one, that passing that is just going to be the problem, not getting it loose. So if you've got some smaller ones and you need to get them you know, moved through, then roller coasters definitely a cheaper way than medical procedures or going to the hospital, that kind of stuff. If you haven't read this story yet, make sure to check it out. It was so interesting. Uh, hearing from the MSU professor that what sorry what's his name uh David Wardinger David Wardinger he had some great information in there so make sure to check that out RJ you also published a story about a really old tree earlier this week and I have to say when you pitched this at one of our news meetings we all kind of went eh who knows if this will get well read and it has been one of our of our most popular stories USA Today even picked it up and it's had almost a hundred thousand page views on there alone what gave you the idea to write about this tree? Give us a little backstory. Well, I remember the storm that brought it down because it was in July. I remember I was driving home from work and then the weather just took a complete turn. You know, signs on the road were wobbling in the wind. A tree branch fell on top of my car while I was filming video of the storm. So it was a big thing and it knocked out power in East Lansing, a couple neighborhoods for more than a day. Took down a bunch of trees across campus and I was walking through campus the next day and just kind of marveling at how many huge trees had come down. Uh, and then I kind of forgot about it. And then two <laughs> months later, it turns out the MSU, one of the MSU professors I talked to aged this one particular tree near Beaumont Tower and counted 347 rings 
15 feet up on the tree, which means that that would, that's only 347 years since it was 15 feet tall. Oh, so if okay. you go back down, that means it's actually a lot older. So once I heard about that, I wanted to know how he managed to age this tree, how old it might be, and what was happening to its remains. So, And that's really what prompted the story. And I think you wrote that everybody that has attended MSU um, should have walked by this or had the opportunity yeah. to walk by this tree. I mean, it's a you know really popular kind of location. It's just in a park in West Circle near Beaumont tower uh so that's really popular location right near the museum too so i you know and that's the thing too because this tree likely preceded the founding of msu by you know 200 years so everybody who's ever stepped foot on campus possibly could have seen this tree and long before you know msu people got here native americans were settling in this area so this tree had seen a lot that's for sure were you surprised at how many people read this story? Yeah, it was amazing because it, it wasn't, you know, the heaviest lift of a story. Um, but then I turned around and it was the most viewed story I think I've published here in a year and a half. Really? Wow. Which is crazy. And, I, you know, when USA Today picks something up, then you really know you've done something right. And yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, I think it was up to 120,000 total across all platforms last time I looked. And that's crazy yeah. i just want to say i was behind this story from the very you were <laughs> you were supportive it's funny i was at the news meeting and everybody kind of laughed and you always you've never produced a story that we're like oh that's gonna that's gonna be crap but when you say i'm gonna write about a really old tree you know yeah. you don't know okay is that gonna be a clicker um and it was it definitely was and um so if you haven't checked this story out make sure you do because it is a good one as well kathleen moving on to you you just published a story on wine harvesting which is beginning now throughout Michigan. Um, why were the last three years of harvesting so bad? So some of us may remember the super horrible winter of 2013 and the not quite as horrible but still bad winter of 2014 that followed it. It was very cold for a long period of time. And these um, winters kind of wrecked a lot of grapevines. Uh, they just froze. You know, grapevines, grapes are a little iffy for Michigan because okay. we're kind of too cold of a climate mm -hmm. for them to start with. So it's kind of miraculous that we have 124 wineries in the state. Yeah, that now. surprised me anyway. Um, so two things have happened. They have figured out how and where to plant the vinifera grapes. These are the ones that um, are the European things that we're all used to, Chardonnay, Riesling, you know, those kinds of things. And um, uh, the other thing is that they're developing hybrid grapes that are made for northern climates like uh, Michigan, oh, Minnesota, cool. Wisconsin. And so more people are planting those and the, the wine from those are really good. Um, these will be like uh, Marquette, Chancellor, Vidal, um, a bunch of different uh, new grapes. So anyway, so these two winters were so hard that, that up north they got like maybe less than 10% of the grape crop that they were expecting. Um, but these wineries kind of rebounded by getting grape juice from other cold states to make wine from and admitted on their labels that they were making wine with, with mm -hmm. juice from elsewhere. But it was super, super hard for them to not be able to use their own grapes. Um, so this year, I kind of consider the winter just a really odd one because I was bike riding in February and then a month later I was freezing and couldn't get out of my driveway. Why was this year different 
Well, this year was a little bit milder with not the long, prolonged period of cold. Okay. And so uh, the grapevines, you know, like those two super cold winters, they froze my rose bushes at home and they froze the grapes. The the last past winter that we had was a lot more um, normal in that it was kind of up and down and not okay. ever huge deep freeze for a long time. Um, and then... Uh, there were no frosts in the spring, so the grape blossoms were just fine, and the grapes had um, plenty of sunshine all summer, and so they are looking really good right now. So the growers are pretty excited. When I think of this, I kind of think of it like planning a big outdoor event and then checking the weather every day. Is this something that's really stressful for the farmers throughout the year? Well, it is It is stressful. And and one of the growers up north, uh, Chris Baldiga from Two Lads Winery on the Old Mission Peninsula, told me, you know, you just have to get so that you're kind of like zen about it because there's so many things you can't control. You just have to do what you can do. Um, and, and not only do the grapes have to be ripe, but the grapes have to be... Um, they have to have a certain amount of sugar content and a certain acidity. They have to be just about perfect. And they're measuring that on a daily basis to make sure that, that they're going to be perfect to produce the reliable wine that you want and love. Um, so it's, it's really a lot of art and a lot of science all rolled into one. So what's the most interesting thing you learned on your adventure to Sandhill Crane Vineyards? <laughs> okay. This is like super funny and it's all <laughs> mechanical, but it's hilarious. Um, when they put the, grapes in the crushing machine it somehow figures out how to spew the stems out the side really so the crushed grapes come out and the stems go through this little little tube and come out the side so that is fascinating it is (laughs) it is kind of fun well make sure you uh, check out kathleen's feature on wine harvesting which is beginning right about now it is online and i will also put it on my podcast page Before I let you go, we are going to get to our weekly segment of headlines you may have missed. The Lansing City Council signed off on a plan to put an electrical substation on a piece of parkland bordering the downtown area. Despite strong opposition, council members approved resolutions that will allow the Lansing Board of Water and Light to build its proposed 27.9 million central substation at the southwest corner of South Washington Avenue and West Malcolm X Street. A lot of people are really upset about this, but a lot of people are also really for this. Have you heard much about this, either of you? I know it's been a long time coming. Like, they've been talking about this idea, and that's the Scott House it situation, is Scott House, right? Yeah. yeah, so there's a lot of historical mm-hmm. aspect to it. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with it, but it should be interesting. I think it's um, a good thing that they're willing to recreate the garden um, at a nearby location, and I'm hoping that people will still be happy to go there. Mm-hmm. Residents will get a say on proposed changes to East Lansing's marijuana ordinance. City officials have scheduled a public hearing for October 11th to discuss a change that would allow people over the age of 21 to use, possess, or transfer less than an ounce of marijuana on private property. I was talking to Beth, uh, who wrote this story before it published, and I said, you know, you write something like this and you know all the MSU students are going to read this <laughs> and think that it's okay to, you know, have marijuana with you at all times and do all that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, it's like a lot of ordinances that you see in Michigan over the past few years. It protects you on that local level, but on the state level, I mean, you can still have issues. So it's not like everybody's safe and fine, but I guess it's a step forward for the proponents of it. So it's probably safe to say students do not walk around campus with yeah, carrying marijuana. Yeah, not recommended. <laughs> do not do that. 
Jackson National Life Insurance Company is expected to add just over 300 jobs in the next few years. The company will receive a $2.3 million grant through the Michigan Business Development Program to create the jobs. Always a good thing when jobs come to the area. Police are investigating vandalism targeting two 17-year-old girls who were elected Friday to Potterville High School's homecoming court as a couple. A swastika, along with hateful messages, were spray-painted over two parking spaces in the school's parking lot sometime between Friday evening and Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I know the police had put out something telling folks who might know something, come forward because we get before we get that surveillance footage. So uh, we'll see what happens on that. It's always just so sad to see people bring down others, and especially when it's just a nice thing like, you know, prom and all that. I was talking with my high school age daughters about this, and they were simply outraged. And they said, what kind of a place does this happen in? You know, they mm-hmm. said, this is just really looks bad for the school Ashley Judd stopped by Lansing this week to be a keynote speaker at the Athena International Leadership Conference at the Lansing Center. The conference was intended to encourage women to leave a legacy and give back to the community. I'm a huge Ashley Judd fan just because she used to be married to um, Dario Franchitti, which is an an IndyCar driver, and I was a big IndyCar fan growing up. So I always like it when Ashley Judd comes to town, and she's a great speaker I hear as well. A 16-year-old St. John's High School sophomore will compete in the World Powerlifting Championships from October 6th through 9th in Clackamas, Oregon. Probably should have called my friend who lives in Oregon to make sure that's how you pronounce Clackamas, but (laughs) we'll go with it. Bree Purvis gave up cheerleading two years ago in favor of weighted plates. She now holds four state records. Good luck, Bree. We're rooting for you. That's amazing. Yeah, I think so too. I think so as well. Well, our our fall color bracket is still going on. Kathleen, tell us how week two is going. Week two is going amazing. Um, and we've got a couple of heavyweights going up against each other. M22, uh, which wraps around the Leland Peninsula, is taking on the Tunnel of Trees, which is M119 uh, near Cross Village. And both of those are spectacular color sites. And uh, I think you should log in and vote. Also, um, the Spartans will be happy to hear that... Um, MSU campus beat U of M and is advancing. And so if you were Spartan and you love colors on campus, uh, please uh, get online and vote. I was going to, I always feel like MSU's campus is the most beautiful one that I've seen in the big 10. You know, it's just, you know, against U of M, I I think we've got that edge, even if they've got us on some other things like football this year and whatnot. I'm going to let you have that one. (laughs) The game has not been played yet. We will leave it at that. Anyways, don't forget to vote in the fall color bracket. We are in week two and it will be on my podcast page. Thanks for listening to our Love Lansing podcast provided by the Lansing State Journal, part of the USA Today Network. Remember, all of the stories we talked about today can be found on my podcast page. I'll be here every week to fill you in on the most exciting news you might have missed. If you're feeling out of the loop, visit lsj.com slash lovelancingpodcast and let us fill you in. (laughs) 